from the National Society of Genetic Counselors, this is the NSGC podcast series. Exploring stories of leading voices and best practices in genetic counseling. Welcome to the NSGC podcast series. I'm your host, Naomi Wagner. In honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, which takes place annually from September 15th to October 15th in the United States, we are pleased to share an episode on the topic of Spanish language genetic counseling. First, we want to recognize that not all individuals who speak Spanish identify as Hispanic and not all individuals who identify as Hispanic speak Spanish. Regardless of your familiarity with Spanish, we hope that this episode will inspire thoughtful reflection and discussion regarding the value of counseling patients in their preferred language when possible and the ways that genetic counselors can use their language skills to better connect with patients. Also, for those who are interested, we will discuss resources for how genetic counselors can develop their Spanish language skills and potentially counsel or communicate with patients and clients in Spanish. In the first part of the episode, podcast subcommittee member Jessica Dronin will discuss a Journal of Genetic Counseling article with author Amanda De Leon. Amanda is a cancer genetic counselor at Providence St. Jude Medical Center in Southern California with a strong passion for advocating for the underserved, Latine, and Spanish-speaking patient populations she serves. With that, I'll turn it over to Jessica and Amanda. Hello, everybody. We're here with Amanda De Leon. She is the author of a recent article in the Journal of Genetic Counseling titled Spanish Language Concordance in Genetic Counseling Sessions in the United States, Counselor Experiences and Perceptions of Its Effects on Processes and Outcomes. And this was done as part of her thesis project for her master's in genetic counseling. I'm Jessica Dronin. I'm a member of the NSGC podcast committee. We're really happy you're here to join us today, Amanda. It's really great to be here, and I'm excited to talk about this work. We're very excited to highlight it. So can you start us off by telling us about how you chose your thesis topic? Yeah, I think there's two pieces to it. I think one piece was just my exposure before genetic counseling. So I would highlight when I was getting introduced into genetic counseling, I was at a cancer center and through there, I actually got to meet Charite, who you'll be talking to later. And she was the first Spanish-speaking genetic counselor that I met. And she counseled a ton of Spanish-speaking patients. I even got to do a Spanish immersion rotation with her during school. But I think seeing the work that Charita does really connected the genetic counseling world to the community in a way that really spoke to me. So even before I knew about genetic counseling, I really enjoyed volunteering, working in the community, working at free health fairs in the city and exploring research and topics about understanding my community. So I always tell people that the reason that I chose cancer genetics, the reason why I found genetic counseling so important to me was just how much it was related to your community, to your family. And so when I ended up going to Minnesota, I was really happy to have a really supportive graduate program. To give some context, how you pick out your research is during the first semester, we are given various topics to choose from. And so these are usually topics that leadership at our program are interested in digging deeper into. And whichever topic we choose also dictates who our advisor is going to be and who can guide us through it. So I saw the topics and while really, really great, there was not a topic that quite fit my interest in exploring and understanding the Latina community within the genetic counseling space. So I ended up bringing an idea, not quite formed, but I brought it to them and they supported me through the topic and expanding and adjusting it to something feasible to be completed within my two years. And so one consideration we thought about was, 
who to interview. So we were like, do we interview patients? Do we interview genetic counselors? There was not a lot. And at that time, no research that had looked at language concordance in genetic counseling. And so I thought looking at the genetic counseling perspective would be a great starting place and something that as a student had a little bit less roadblocks to get, for example, IRB approval. Can you outline some of your main findings from your research project? Yeah, of course. I would say some background. I interviewed about 10 Latina and nine non-Latina Spanish-speaking genetic counselors who practice in the U.S., and I used the reciprocal engagement model, or REM, for short to frame my questions. I was inspired to use this model, one, because I learned that my advisor was very familiar with it, if you see her name associated with it, but also thought it was very appropriately useful here, just because it recognized key points that had been brought up in language concordance and discordance research in other areas of the medical field. So we wanted to see what the perspectives of these Spanish-speaking GCs was on the effects of concordance in the session, in the processes and outcomes. And I would say that when I looked at the responses and saw how they fit into this REM model, I saw that it fit really nicely. For example, there are four goal factors within the REM model, understanding and appreciation, support and guidance, facilitative decision-making, and patient-centered education. And then there's smaller pieces within them. I think, for example, I like to bring up this one just because I really love this quote, but In theme two, support and guidance, there's a really beautiful quote from an interview that highlights the individual goal of counselor and patient establishing bond. And so the quote is, we sometimes see patients in tandem with one of our physicians where we are both the providers in that particular visit. When the physician comes in and starts talking and the patient will be turning to me, despite me telling them I am not a doctor, start calling me doctora. They're looking more to me to really answer the questions and not as an interpreter, but as sort of like a trusted source. I really like this quote. And through these various responses, we saw that speaking Spanish sort of established a level of comfort and a way of really establishing rapport. So Spanish language concordance appears to help genetic counselors more quickly and deeply build rapport and more fully draw patient thoughts, feelings, experiences and enhance that exchange of genetic information. So the heart of it is the relationship in these cases. Any other main findings you want to highlight from your research? Some takeaway from all this is how important multilingual genetic counselors are. And I encourage those who work with patients, which is everyone in some form of fashion, if you're working in the U.S. or in most countries, is just consider learning another language, but also appreciate and acknowledge the unique skills that these multilingual genetic counselors have. Is there anything that surprised you that came up while you were doing your research? I would say one thing that was interesting, I had mentioned that we were able to find that these interviews fit really nicely into this REM model, but also we found six additional themes that emerged beyond this. But one of these themes was really interesting in that genetic counselors felt that they were still able to achieve these REM goals without this language concordance. But when I was thinking about it, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about language concordance just enhances that relationship. So they're like, hey, we can still get what we need to get done in a session. But I think from everything else they also added on was, but when we talk to them language concordant wise, we're just able to really build that relationship, really enhance our connection with these patients. So they're still able to be effective counselors, even if they're not concordant, but it just makes everything better. 
you spoke a little bit about why you chose to do genetic counselors only due to your limited time as a student and having fewer roadblocks and stuff. And now, since your research has come out, there's been a few additional articles talking about language concordance, which is really exciting. What kind of other future research on this topic do you think we would need? I'm already excited by the work that's continuing to come out. Teresa Jimenez just published work looking at the patient perspective. So I encourage people to look at that as well. And then I also know graduate students working on similar topics. And I even saw, for example, a Brandeis student publish a thesis topic focused on experiences of Chinese speaking genetic counselors. So I'm really just excited to see all these different perspectives. I think the United States has such a diverse population with many different groups. So I think understanding how these additional identities culture, even dialects and experiences in and out of the U.S. play a role can not only help language concordance genetic counselors, but also thinking about the language discordant genetic counselors, which is the majority, better serve their patients. So I think there is still a lot more research in this area and a lot more patients and identities that we haven't yet explored. So I think that's where this research is continuing to go, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, because even when you're talking about just Spanish concordance, there are so many differences. It's great you were able to get the ball rolling with all this. You have since started your genetic counseling career outside of being a student. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah, I started right when the pandemic hit. So it's been an exciting past few years. So I ended up going to a really great hospital system that allowed me to work with Spanish-speaking patients, but also work with counselors that were excited and really advocated for this community as well. I have learned to incorporate what I learned from my thesis into my clinical work now. I'm able to just be thoughtful in terms of what I want to advocate for when we communicate with our patients. I think about the unique skills that I bring, and I also want to speak up when I hear, for example, our counselors talk about, hey, we're going to talk to our patient this way. And I like to think a little bit more thoughtfully in terms of, well, what else do we need to be considering here? I know there are sometimes some restrictions based on your institution about whether you're able to counsel in another language. Have you had the opportunity to counsel your patients in Spanish since starting your clinical roles? Yes, I've been thankful to have that opportunity. And you're right, that is something that definitely comes up depending on institution, state, and skill level. So it's always something important to consider, like, for example, for graduate students or even prospective students, bringing that up and knowing what you need to be able to do to be able to counsel. Outside of your work, can you tell us more about how you've engaged with the Spanish-speaking genetic counseling community? Seeing Charite and observing her counsel and later even doing my own Spanish immersion rotation, I definitely wanted to be able to incorporate that as well. So I was able to help students at one of the graduate programs be able to do their own Spanish immersion as well, but then also just getting involved in different work. So seeing is there a process flow for Spanish resources or even for example, there's some really great communities that are just getting larger and larger, like the Minority Genetics Professional Network. That was one that I was able to reach out to and collaborate with some really amazing genetic counselors for different works that they were doing, or even just getting involved with new networks. For example, there's a Latin American Society of Genetic Counselors, or SPLAHIN, um, for short, that are expanding collaboration to the genetics community in Latin America. So I think just learning more about what's out there, but then also just getting involved with these communities. It's been really great to know who they are and excitement that they also have for the work that they do. I'm glad you're able to find different groups to share what you've learned and to learn what they have to offer too. That's really cool that you were able to help students with their own Spanish immersion parts for their rotations as well. Anything you want to add related to that or advice for other potential supervisors who would be thinking about having that as an option for their students? 
I think it can be dependent on which community you're getting involved with. I definitely will give a shout out or plug to the Spanish SIG just because both of those leaders are very heavily involved with Spanish immersion with students that they have worked with. For students, I would say advocate for it. So if you are a Spanish speaking or if you have worked in the Spanish realm or other language realm and you're really interested in this, bring it up to your program early just because if it's not something available at that program, see if there's other supervisors available that would be interested in offering this. And then for the supervisors, I think it's something to collaborate and to further understand just because it's a unique skill and a unique type of education compared to doing it in English. So I think that's something that's continuing to grow and continuing to try to figure out. There will be more research and more work on this, I think. So I'm excited to see what we do. Besides rotations, any other advice for students or supervisors? I heard colleagues or other individuals that they were like, oh, darn, I wish I could have done that. I just didn't know it was possible. Or, oh, I'm really passionate about this, but I don't know where to start. So I think that's something where if you feel passionate about something, bring it up. See if there's other people that are interested or want to collaborate with you. Or if you're like, hey, there's this really big roadblock. Well, what is it? What can you do to remove that roadblock? There might be more possibilities than they thought originally. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about your project or the things you've learned based on your research? To kind of commemorate Hispanic Heritage Month, but also just to celebrate, I'm excited about the work that's coming out of the genetic counseling community in this space. The Latina community within the U.S. is such a diverse group. So thinking about the generations in the U.S., countries that individuals or families come from, accent or no accent, skin color, or even how someone chooses to identify So I think by continuing to have conversation around the patients we see and the colleagues that we work with, our genetic counseling community will just continue to grow, celebrate, and recognize what our future is going to hold. And then for any of our listeners that are interested, I know Amanda's going to be involved in the NSGC annual conference this year. Amanda, can you tell us a little bit about how you'll be participating? I'll be part of an on-demand session. It's called Se Habla Español, Spanish Language Proficiency Training within genetic counseling graduate programs and beyond. And it's really cool. We're going to get supervisor perspective, student perspective, and genetic counselors who went through these immersion trainings talking about their experiences and what that looked like. So I'm excited. Just anyone that wants to listen, please feel free. Thank you for sharing your research with us and taking the time to talk with us today, Amanda. I really enjoyed our conversation. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you, Amanda and Jessica. It's always great to see student research projects published, and we appreciate the opportunity to hear about this important study. To access the Journal of Genetic Counseling and read Amanda and her colleagues' full article, visit the Policy, Research, and Publications tab of the NSGC website, or visit onlinelibrary.wiley.com. In the next part of the episode, I will chat with Priscilla Delgado Hodges and Charité Ricker, co-chairs of the Spanish Development Special Interest Group, the National Society of Genetic Counselors Special Interest Groups, or SIGs for short, are communities that offer opportunities for NSGC members to increase their leadership skills, help plan targeted educational offerings, and meet other NSGC members with similar interests, areas of specialization, or practice settings. Being part of one or more SIGs can enhance your involvement in NSGC and expand your career network. Priscilla is a research genetic counselor at Indiana University School of Medicine, providing bilingual genetic counseling to participants enrolled in Parkinson's disease research projects, and she has played an integral role in the development of genetics outreach to the Hispanic community. 
Charité is the Director of Genetic Counseling at LA County and USC Medical Center and a clinical instructor at the University of Southern California. She established a cancer genetics clinic at LA County, a safety net hospital that serves a majority Hispanic Latinx community of patients in 2008. She is excited to now be joined by four other Spanish-speaking cancer genetic counselors. She is also part of or leads several projects focused on cancer genetics disparities. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Priscilla and Charité. Welcome. Could you each start by briefly introducing yourselves? Sure. I am Priscilla Delgado Hodges. I am originally from Ecuador, born and raised, and I currently work with Indiana University as a research counselor for Parkinson's disease. My name is Charite Ricker, and I was born in Miami, like a lot of good Cuban Americans, my roots go there, and then moved to Texas as a child, and then California as an adult, where I've been now for a long time. And I <laughs> work at the University of Southern California as a cancer genetic counselor, and I take care of patients at one of our large county hospitals here. Thank you for being here. And you both are involved with the Spanish Development Special Interest Group, or SIG. So I would love to start off if you could share how this SIG came to be and how it was formed. I can take a stab here. There was a group before the SIG that was meeting every so often to practice Spanish. So we would call it Spanish Club. We had a lot of GC students that would join. Little by little, more people started to come and were spread out and people figured out that we were meeting and it kind of just grew. That's kind of how it started. Then I was able to connect with Cherry Tate due to chance in life. Not to interrupt you, but I mean, I did say you could confess that I stalked you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's true. We were able to connect because Cherry Tate stalked me, but it was a great situation because we were able to figure out a survey to send out to genetic counselors and see if there was actually an interest to do something like a SIG because that's to me was at that point a, a bigger undertaking and I didn't want to first of all do something like that on my own I needed support and someone who actually believed in this and Charité was that person we wanted to confirm that it was something we should actually invest our time in from that it showed that yes it was a good idea we had a close to I want to say 200 people that answered the survey. And then we started with a process for the actual application. And I think for me, it was exciting to find somebody who was interested working in the same area, who was really committed to Spanish language genetic counseling and already working in that area. Like the Spanish club was really cool and exciting. We'd been taking students on a Spanish language rotation at our facility for many years. And that was why I was trying to stalk Priscilla in order to get more information about her experience doing the same. And so when we had the chance to meet and discuss a lot of her ideas and goals fit well with things that I would like to see happen and goals that I had. It was exciting to find somebody who was invested in similar ideas. And now that this is an approved SIG, what are the main goals of the Spanish Development SIG? So some of the goals for the Spanish SIG, first we would say will be the actual language professional development. So we want to really help people who are interested in developing their Spanish skills, basically expand that. So ideally, 
there is already a base. We're not really here to teach people Spanish. It's more to enhance what you already have. Then also want to be some kind of Spanish resource. So if there's a specific question, so we've had people say, well, how do you say this? Or, or how can you present this? And here is a chance where you can actually ask people who are counseling often in Spanish, like that can give you insight. And also we have with the collaboration of MGPN gather a list of resources that are in Spanish. So we have that housed in the SIG as well. And people can have access to that as well. And then also we want to be a network for people. How very much like Charita and I connected, we want to be able to help people connect with each other who have interest in research, maybe a specific cancer, but in a Spanish community or things like that. In the website, you'll see that it says, Comunidad is the idea of a community as well. We really want to support each other and when possible, provide mentorship opportunities. I think that this is something that we're still kind of thinking about and how we can do this. But informally, I often meet with people that have questions and like uh, advise on like, well, this is my first time applying for graduate school and I'm Hispanic, what can I do? And then we also have our option for grants and awards. But the main focus is it has to be related to a Spanish or Hispanic project. That's the main, main thing, and it's our Rompiendo Barreras grant. Priscilla, what does Rompiendo Barreras mean? Great question. <laughs> it actually means breaking barriers. The name was actually very intentional because that's one of the things with, with the little money that we have, we want to be able to help in any way we can and serve our Hispanic or Spanish speaking community. Anybody that wants to do research there, you'll get priority into getting this grant. So do individuals need to be a native speaker or fluent in Spanish or identify as Hispanic in order to join the SIG? No, absolutely not. And we actually encourage individuals from kind of all levels of Spanish language proficiency to participate in our activities. And I love the Spanish club. There are some people who say very little or maybe only are comfortable asking their questions in English, but then can hear the diverse perspectives of genetic counselors who may have more language proficiency and more ability to convey certain complex ideas in Spanish. Like Priscilla said, obviously it's called the Spanish Development SIG because of the focus on some Spanish level, but you could be a beginner, you could be a native speaker. And I think that that's one of the reasons some of the activities we've participated in, in have been so rich is because we have people from kind of across the spectrum. And Spanish itself is one language that's spoken in many different countries and communities. I mean, one of the reasons I love this is because I love the language and how different it is all over the world. And so I think that translates also to different levels. So we would invite anybody who finds it interesting, whether you maybe have very beginner level or maybe took high school Spanish and that's it. And if your goal is just to be able to greet a patient warmly or maybe take a preliminary pedigree, or if you're an advanced speaker who wants to think about complex ways to present certain ideas and to have other genetic counselors who are thinking through the same things, we hope it's a home for those kinds of conversations and development activities. 
That's good to know. You know, I'll use myself as an example. So I am not a native Spanish speaker and I don't identify as Hispanic. However, I have taken several Spanish courses in high school and college, but I often feel uncomfortable using Spanish in a genetic counseling setting. I'm always worried I'm going to not conjugate a verb right or forget a vocabulary word. It sounds like folks like me are certainly welcome to join the SIG, but what other sort of advice do you have for people in my situation or what resources might be available to us through the SIG? The best advice that I can give you is the one that I gave every single student that I had that wanted to do the rotation, which is if you want to practice your Spanish, Spanish speaking patients, the ones that you usually tend to see in clinic, at least for me, it was people who were kind of like lower educational level, lower income. They are really the most forgiving, loving people that you will ever encounter. And just the fact that you are trying to use your Spanish, it's the best thing you can do and you will be able to connect with them. It is so appreciated when they're trying to speak your language. It's so important to remember that a lot of these patients, unfortunately, are often connecting with a provider who may not have a lot of time and maybe are giving some instructions in English and briefly, you know, using an interpreter. And so if you can do that, it shows that you at least are trying to make an attempt to connect in a different level. And it's so appreciated. So I will say, take your chance. Don't worry about how you're conjugating a specific verb. You know, if you're using the wrong article, la, masculine and feminine, that's like the more complicated, harder thing to keep in mind because the words are different. And in English, we don't have that. Forgetting that and just trying it out is the best thing you can do. And you can always just try to watch shows in Spanish, Netflix. You can actually change the language and you can put subtitles as well. So that's just very helpful to develop your hearing. There are different podcasts and we actually have a long list of resources to improve your Spanish. There are different applications for your phone that you can download and practice your Spanish. So there are many things, but then uh, another thing that you can do is when we meet for a Spanish club, join us and practice. That's a chance where you can just really say anything and and try it out and we'll help you with how you pronounce things or give you like different ideas on how to say something and so I'll say don't be shy try it out any chance that you can get to practice with anyone take it and if I can just add a little bit to what Priscilla is saying you know you always have to balance whether you're speaking the patient's language or you're working through an interpreter the end goal of our genetic counseling sessions are open and clear communication that helps patients make decisions and face the difficulties that come with the genetic diagnosis. So, you know, when you're building that rapport, being able to use your Spanish skills to establish that it is really important and helpful. And I think that whether, again, you're speaking Spanish or English, it's not necessarily the medical jargon that you need to be able to manipulate. If I think about talking about like the two-hit hypothesis in English, There's lots of words I would never use to describe the two-hit hypothesis in English. So I don't need to know those words in Spanish, but what I need to know how to do is to communicate concepts clearly, which we're trained to do. And in that, obviously, if your Spanish skills aren't at the point where you are communicating more clearly in Spanish than you would be through an interpreter, then an interpreter is absolutely the best pathway still. But those opportunities should always be taken. It's such an amazing rapport building. I only speak English and Spanish, and I know a little bit of sign. And my deaf patients, when I sign with them, get so excited. And then I'm like, okay, well, that's it. You just got my like (laughs) 
the total, total of my signing skills are gone in the first two minutes of our, our interaction or the few words I know in Armenian. And so like, those are all ways to help somebody be seen. And I guess as you develop that and grow those skills, that's what we want to support. I totally agree, but it is important to say also that you need to know your own limits. I don't want people to think that Priscilla said, go and practice your Spanish and you kind of like just know how to do a pedigree, but then you try to do the whole session. Now I'm not saying that. <laughs> so it sounds like it would almost always be appropriate to greet someone if you feel comfortable doing so in their language, if you do know that language. But I do know that there are some institutions or hospitals that might have rules surrounding language interpretation and certification. And that in some cases, bilingual or native speaker may not be able to actually do a full genetic counseling session unless they have the appropriate certification for that hospital or institution. Is that correct? And do you have any comments about that and kind of some of the rules surrounding using another language to provide counseling services? I will say, yes, it's true. There are certain hospitals that do have specific policies that you may have to take on a specific exam or even people who are already certified interpreters. So maybe before they were genetic counselors, they were an interpreter and they want you to provide kind of that as proof. And so there are hospitals that have those requirements. Others don't. So for example, when I worked at UT, I was able to counsel without any kind of proof. I just mentioned I'm a native speaker and I was able to do my sessions without any problems. But, you know, it is important to recognize that building that rapport is beneficial and it's precious when you are able to do that. But at the same time, recognizing where your language limit lies, right? In regards to like the policies, it's really hospital dependent. But I think that being able to know when you need to call an interpreter and do so for the benefit of the patient is something that should always be kind of in the back of everyone's mind. You get the chance to tell your patient, hey, you're going to call for an interpreter, but you can say, how are you doing today? You know, how was it coming here from your house? If you can do that in Spanish, there's actually no kind of impact to the patient in regards of like the session overall is actually helping you build a rapport. But then when you start talking about a complex issue and you know you don't have the words for it, then by all means, always, always ensure that you have the patient's interest in mind. But you can always finish the session on saying, you know, it was such a pleasure to meet you in Spanish and say, just let me know if there's anything else you can do. Have a great day. And if you could say that in Spanish, even better. I think that's a great perspective and always keeping the goal of the patient understanding and communication as your primary target for the session. I've been at facilities that have different requirements around this. You may have to take different tests. And I know some people are hesitant to do so because then they're concerned that they won't be able to use Spanish language in their session. And other settings, sometimes if you become a hospital interpreter or you get that certification, people are concerned they might be called in to situations where they wouldn't feel comfortable interacting. And so I think get to know your hospital policies, find out what does need to be done. And if maybe your proficiency level isn't quite where it needs to be, to meet your hospital's requirements, then could that be a goal? What can you do to get there? And if we can help support you in that process, that's what we want the SIG to do, to provide those opportunities to engage with genetic counselors around genetics and do it in Spanish. 
just so we understand the scope of the SIG, is the SIG planning to get involved in policy efforts such as regarding certification, or is that not something that the SIG is focused on? Not really. I would say it's probably beyond the scope of our capacity. And because those policies are so dependent on each facility and institution, I I don't think that would be in the scope of what we would manage. And we aren't issuing certificates. Like if you participate in our activities, you don't get like a special seal of genetic counseling Spanish proficiency. That's not where we're at or what we're set up to do. I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities. I've talked with some members of our SIG who have those goals where they would like to form courses and develop curriculum to help genetic counselors receive Spanish language training and work towards those things. That's not where we're at right now. But if you think those ideas are fun and exciting, then this would be the place to meet other genetic counselors with similar goals and ideas. And I would love to see some of those endeavors become more formalized education opportunities. Definitely sounds like there's a lot of room to grow. It is one of the newer special interest groups. It seems like the Spanish development SIG has already hit the ground running. Would you be able to share some of the wins so far or some of the successes? We were able to host a couple of webinars. So we had one earlier in the year where we collaborated with Amanda de Leon and she presented on something that she did in her hospital and how people could request getting a translation. There was this whole system that she kind of developed and it was a great presentation of other resources. It was, from what I could tell, very well attended. People were very engaged and people were really excited about it. Then we also hosted kind of more informal webinar for prospective GC students, mainly with the Hispanic angle. This was part of Hispanic Heritage Month. And we did have a smaller crowd, but, you know, a lot of the students were really engaged, asking questions and interested in becoming a genetic counselor and what were some of the things that were important as part of that process. And we do have plans for another follow-up webinar from that, but that will be for next year. The next webinar is kind of more in the sense of you've already entered graduate school. This is kind of what that means. And this is how the future could play out. Like this is the experience of Hispanic genetic counselors who are already in the field. So those are some of the things that we've done. We also, with really the leadership of Charité, we have a workshop that is going to be happening during the conference this year year, we have reached capacity, which is awesome, but we have a lot of interest from people for our workshop. And so that's something that is really exciting. And that's kind of the tease that I will leave for that. But then we also have something called La Casita, which is for specifically Hispanic GC students that have a safe place to connect and support each other in regards of struggles in genetic counseling programs. Genetic counseling school and just graduate school is not easy, but for Hispanics, students, and I'm I'm including myself there because I experienced those struggles, there can be different struggles that you may not be able to relate with other students who are not Hispanic. And so that's a safe space that we leave for the only students to connect. And so we've heard good comments from that. And I think, of course, the Spanish club, that is also a great success. I wish I could do it more often, but just due to limited availability on our end is kind of hard. 
what I was going to highlight is the opportunity for more individuals being involved, especially when it comes to the Spanish club. We've had a few since the SIG got off the ground, but we would love to be able to do those more frequently. You don't have to be a Spanish professor. It's very informal. That individual who leads it can pick a topic and then we'll have a conversation about it and practice a little bit. You know, opening your mouth and speaking is an amazing learning experience, but it can be hard. And so we try to make it as safe and welcoming a space as possible. We're not there to judge anybody Spanish. I would be a hypocrite if I did so. <laughs> so we are open and interested and excited when somebody wants to take a lead or wants to host one of these. Carlena from Stanford hosted one recently and it went great. More hands on deck means more activities, and we definitely want to hear people's ideas and what would get them excited about Spanish and genetic counseling and what activities we can help support. We heard from Amanda earlier in this podcast episode about her research related to the Spanish-speaking genetic counseling community. I'm curious if either of you have any notable memories or lessons from your training or your work as a genetic counselor that you want to share with our listeners. I feel like I would need an entire series of podcasts to share my experiences. English is my first language, but I have a lot of family. My grandmother never learned English after she immigrated from Cuba. Well, I take that back. She said she didn't understand English, but I think she did. She just didn't like to speak it. <laughs> Being able to reach patients who I see her in and being able to work with families in our clinics. For me, I cannot ever imagine counseling in a different setting. I have had incredible moments. I've had terrible moments too, just FYI, but, but I have had some really amazing moments where like I saw a patient yesterday who we were talking about consenting for genetic testing. She had come to me with genetic test results already from another institution where she had had what she'd been told was genetic counseling. And it actually wasn't like, she looked at me and she's like, oh, so like this gene is something that came from like my mom or my dad and I can pass on to my kids. And it like all clicked into place for her. And she got excited about the opportunity to share that information. Like her daughter was in the room with us and she'd gotten her results months ago from a different facility. And, and she was just excited that like she understood them and that she could talk to her kids about it. And those moments happen so frequently with Spanish as the vehicle for us being able to connect and learn. I treasure them. I will say this is something that I was told when I was in training. Full disclosure, actually, when I was training, I had some struggles at the beginning. And I had one supervisor who actually spoke Spanish. She was able to kind of like observe me. And she could actually tell a difference whenever I was counseling in Spanish versus when I was counseling in English. And I remember that she told me like, Priscilla, you are such a different person when you're counseling in Spanish than when you're counseling in English. So she could see something that I at that time couldn't. The fact that I was actually able to do the full-fledged genetic counseling session that I was supposed to do, I just didn't trust myself that I could just because I didn't feel confident in English, but in Spanish I did. And I just wasn't fully cognizant of that. And so for me, it was such a treasure moment that I, in a way, felt validated that I was 
able to really provide the service that people need it, but really to the community that most needed it. With where I am right now in my career, I am fully capable of providing the same kind of service for both communities, but it's always more special in Spanish. And that's because within our community, I always have people calling me like Mija, which is kind of like daughter. They call me that often. And I just love it because it really makes me connect with them in a, in a very special way. And it really reminds me always of my parents. My dad speaks some English, but my mom doesn't. And so anytime that they had to go to the doctor, you know, I always had to be the one speaking for them. And so I always remember that this could be for my parents. If somebody would be able to talk to them directly when I'm not there, that's a big difference. Being able to do that and really having people connect with you to the point that they have that confidence in you to call you like Mija and all these like little special moments are just so important. And I treasure them always. Thank you both for sharing those stories. I think it really demonstrates exactly the moments you're hoping that more people in our field can have with their patients and at their work as well, and really demonstrates the impact that even small usage of a Spanish language can make such a positive difference in our patient care. So thank you so much for leading the efforts of the Spanish Development SIG and sharing your stories on our podcast today. It was my pleasure. Mi placer. La mía también. <laughs> Thanks for having us. It was fun to talk about. Thank you again to all of our speakers. I enjoyed this one, and it encouraged me to join the Spanish Development SIG. Stay tuned for more on the topic of Spanish language genetic counseling in the Journal of Genetic Counseling, the NSGC Annual Conference, and hopefully on this podcast in the future as well. More information about the Spanish Development SIG can be found at nsgc.org forward slash members forward slash special dash interests dash groups dash SIGS forward slash Spanish. If you have additional questions, you can reach out to the Spanish Development SIG at spanish.d dot sig at gmail.com. That concludes this month's episode of the NSGC podcast series. As always, for more genetic counseling educational opportunities, check out the online education center at nsgc.org. There are several upcoming October webinars covering a range of topics from epilepsy practice guidelines to somatic testing in oncology to culturally engaged supervision in genetic counseling. This recording is produced by the National Society of Genetic Counselors. I'm your host, Naomi Wagner, and we'll see you next time.